All right, so this is a year of reformation, yes? Where we've gone through the year and we can recognize that there are things that have happened in our lives, things that we did and things that we had no control over that really started shaping us in a direction that we know God didn't mean for us to be in. You know, you start getting more pessimistic, yeah. more negative, right? You start getting more melancholy, more depressed, right? You start getting a little bitter, a little unforgiving, a little hopeless. <clears throat> you start getting real slick, real sly, quick-tempered, quick at the mouth. I don't know what you became. But it is evident that throughout our days, the problems of life, both those that we create and those that we didn't, try to shape us into, into something different than what the God had in mind. Yeah. And by his grace and mercy, we can almost see and remember what we were supposed to be. Maybe it's back in the day when your grandmama told you, your great aunt or an uncle, some preacher or teacher said, you know what, the Lord's going to use you. Yeah. And every once in a while throughout this year, you probably thought about that. Probably thought what happened to that. Am I too far from it? You know, you can be sitting in a church and still be quite far yeah. from what God has in mind. And so this year we've been looking at how God wants to change us, to reform us back to what he originally had. Yeah. Because there's something he had in mind at this day in this year of your life. And we want to be exactly that, no less and no more. Amen. Does that make sense? So last week we looked at reformation through <clears throat> perseverance. Okay? And true enough, it was perseverance as related to sin. Because we covered perseverance earlier in the year as it relates to just being steadfast through trials and, and issues of certain kinds. And then last week we looked at perseverance as it relates to sin and how we can remain steadfast in what God has called us to do. On Wednesday night, we reviewed that message and we looked at a couple of things <clears throat> that began to weigh heavily on us. Because we talked about last week on last Sunday that Whatever you sow, you'll reap in, in due season, right? Yeah. And that you plant, if you sow to the flesh, you reap, uh, according to the flesh, death. And if you sow to the spirit, you reap life uh, through the spirit of God. But he says, in due season, you shall reap. And that meant that we're going to reap both good things, as we discussed on last week. And whatever we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap that also. And I know most of you have been taught that once you get saved, that he washes all the consequences away. That is not true. He washes the sin that will cause damnation and causes you to appear before the Father righteous. But as we looked at on last week, if he absolutely took away the consequences, then there remains nothing that will change you. I was having a conversation with Glenda the other day, and I didn't get a chance to finish it because I kind of knew where she was going. I was getting excited, but hopefully I'll get to it today. But she said, Pastor, if God just needed to make us righteous, and he already had a plan to make us righteous, and he saved us and died for us before we were even born, all right, before the, face, before the foundations of the earth, Christ died for us, then, you know, he pretty much is just taking care of sin. He just wants us to... To kind of, you know, acknowledge that. And, and it's more so for us. I said, no. It's not more so for you. You understand. It's more so for you to be connected to the Father. Right. 
She said, but if you already planned a way for us to be saved through Jesus, then this is just a, uh, some type of irrelevant task to actually who he is. I said, no, it's very relevant to him. I said, because just as merciful as God is, and we know he's merciful, don't we? Well, y'all have seen that at least, huh? Just as merciful as he is, he's also very just, very right, very holy. So this means that a holy God cannot continually just give mercy and expect that to be sufficient because every time he gives mercy, it does not change the individual to whom he had to give mercy to. So there's still a disconnect because you're never quite what he wanted you to be, even though he forgave you. I can keep forgiving you all day long, but the problem is you're still not in right standing with me. Hello? Y'all don't want to help me today. You have to say, yeah, I, I can forgive you for that sin. But why you sin and how you sin, that has not been changed. And so you'll do it again. And I'll forgive you for that. And you'll do it again and I'll forgive you for that. And you'll do it again and I'll forgive you that. And even though I can keep forgiving you till you, today you die, the problem is you never changed. And so since forgiveness is needed under the sun with God, where are you going to go after this? Because you, by nature, can now still not stand in front of a holy God. Because your nature has not changed. Hello? Nature hasn't changed. You probably struggled with your habits here and there, and God forgave. But your proclivity to sin still remains. And I know you're thinking, don't everybody's, mm, mm. Mm. you'd be surprised what everybody's not dealing with that you're dealing with. See, when you're doing a lot of mess habitually, perpetually, you assume since you have such a good heart and you really wish you didn't, that everybody else must be struggling too because you're the better version of all of mankind. Like I'm the better version, so if I know if I'm still messing around, then clearly everybody must be messing around. Pastor, the elders, what? Don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby. You got your own mess. So today, I want us to look in continuation from last week at Reformation through the Holy Spirit. Reformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. Reformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, is, is often misunderstood. <clears throat> He's a it, a thing, an entity. He's the essence and truest nature of God in the Spirit. Jesus is the essence and truest nature of God in the flesh. And God, the Father, is the truest nature of God himself in just being himself, whatever form that was. We don't really know. We don't, I don't, how am I supposed to know? I only know two forms, Spirit flesh I don't know no more could be more who are we supposed to know because we were created by him if he even tried to tell me I made a popcorn I would not fathom what that meant because that does not exist here in the stuff you created hello so even if he is made of something and has the existence of something that we're unaware of we, we still would not be aware of it because we only are aware of the stuff that he made us from and put us in all right so for the most part, 
we know that we are flesh, right? Physical, tangible substance, yes? And we know that we have something intrinsic about us, something that you can't see or touch, but still we identify that this is me. Like if my face looked different and my body looked different, but I was the same, I'd be like, no, but I am in here. This is me. And I am more than what I look like on the outside, right? That's an intrinsic property. The Bible might refer to it as your soul, your thoughts, your heart, your mind, your emotions. It also goes as far as to say it's your spirit, the part that is reignited with God and reunited with God, that that is also you and the spirit who God wanted you to be. Now, the problem is in this. Okay, I, I got time. Let me just try to do this real quick. Um, one, two, three. Come on up for me, please. Y'all love this example. It, it is needed. When it comes to the Bible, it talks about how man is three parts or sometimes two parts. All right? Both are biblical. So man is the flesh, represented here by Danny. Danny wants you to go like this and go like this. Big eyes, big hands. Okay. The flesh is outside conscious. It wants anything on the outside that will make it feel good. All right? Anything that it can see that will make it feel good. It is always groping for the outside. Let me get that. Let me get some of that. Ooh, that look good. What about that car? What about that money? What about that booty? Hey, here we go. Very outside conscious, okay? That's the flesh. The soul, all right, is very self-conscious, okay? It's the brain, which is indicative of these little curly hairs right here, <laughs> all right? It's indicative of the heart. So I'm going to go your heart right here, on your heart. All right, the soul is nothing but your thoughts and your emotions, okay? Your soul is self-conscious. It what wants whatever makes it feel good feeling-wise. Do you understand? Oh, I love him. I love her. Mmm. Mmm. I, I would like to go back to bed. Mmm. I don't want to do my homework. Mmm. No, I'm really angry. I'm going to cuss you out. Mmm. This is the soul. It is self-conscious. It wants to do whatever will make you feel good on your insides. This is outside conscious. It wants to do whatever will make you feel good externally to your flesh. Now, this part right here is, would be the spirit of, of you, okay? The spirit, Mr. Hutchie, he can kind of go like that. The spirit is like, <laughs> the spirit is God conscious. He only wants whatever God wants. You understand what I'm saying? That's it. If God says sit, he sits. If God says up, he ups, okay? That's the whole, he only wants what God wants. God, as when you get saved, is supposed to rule over these three, all right, as Lord, okay? But he speaks through this one right here, okay, through the spirit, your spirit. Now, before you got saved, he was dead. Look, dead. He was dead, okay? Then when you got saved, whoosh, he became alive. <laughs> but he was tiny. A babe. All right. He can sit on, sit on that, Mr. Hudson. I don't know if your knees going to make the restoration. Okay, so he was a baby. Now you got to look baby like Mr. Hudson. Look a little baby. Okay, all right. Daddy does not do that very well. All right, but nevertheless, you were the baby spirit man. Now, the issue here is when God tries to speak to you through this baby spirit man, he tried to communicate to the rest of you. Hey, the Lord wants us to, hey, the Lord thinks we should do our prayers. Hey, the Lord thinks, hey, the Lord said we shouldn't do that. Now, depending on how big and bad these two are, it's going to determine whether they're going to listen to him. Okay? Now, this one, he big, strong, strong emotions. 
you know, strong feelings. When I feel things, I feel them deeply. That's, whew. This one, he can get strong. Oh, I want all the, all the weeds. I want all the liquors. I want all the, I want all the, all of this other stuff that we, and I like it, and I want it, and I want it all of it. I like it. Why should we stop? It's so great. It feels so great. It feels so wonderful. Now, when these two get together, let's say your spirit man grew up, all right? You've been going to church, been reading your Bible, been getting the word, all right? He grew up nice and strong. Look at you, looking like a Christian. But then something happens, and some fine person walks through the door. And now these two, <laughs> Mr. Eyes over here, and Mr. Hart over here, oh, oh, no. These two was like, hey, 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 check this out. Possibilities. Spirit was like, oh, the Lord ain't said nothing about this to me. These two say, shut up. Ain't nobody ask you. Goody, good, two-shoe all the time, want to do stuff, right? And when they get together, it is really hard and impossible to do exactly what he is saying because it's two against one, all right? It's really hard. Now, when the soul gets with the spirit, them two, no, so I said with the spirit, girl, you. <laughs> Technically, that would happen because when these two get together, then they get to tell the flesh, well, you, we gonna raise our hands today, raise them, raise them. We gonna say hallelujah, they say it. Hallelujah. See, when these two get together, they be able to tell this flesh what to do, okay? This is a good team right here, it's a good team, right? All right, now the, the problem is that these two, come together here, it's really hard to tell them apart, the spirit and the soul. That's hard, because I feel like God said, or I feel like God said. I, I think I heard God say, or I think I heard God say. How am I supposed to know? The Bible says, now the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and is right to divide the soul from the spirit, like bone from marrow is that they're so tightly, closely related that the stuff you want and the stuff that God wants, you can get those things confused. So the word of God is designed to help separate them. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Give our volunteers. I use this example a lot. Hezekiah, that was the thing I wrote on your paper. You remember that? Okay, we didn't get a chance to talk about it. That is for you. Because you have to understand what is happening when we get into this, because the way your spirit man receives information from God is through his spirit. Because it's spirit to spirit. It ain't spirit to flesh. It ain't spirit to mind. Nobody cares about your mind with your silly self. You made all else. Nobody cares about your mind. Luckily, or blessedly, it's spirit to spirit. So even if you was dumb, you smart now. That's good. All right? So when we look at Reformation through the Holy Spirit... I want us to look about what it means to be led by the Spirit. What it means to live by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. Paul talks about this on several occasions, about being led by the Spirit. And most times, Christians get it all wrong. They were like, being led by the Spirit means the Holy Spirit led me to do something, something, something. He led me to give you money. He led me, not necessarily. The way Paul talks about being led by the Spirit is about sin. I know. Shocker. He's not talking about being led by the Spirit in order to do great exploits. Remember, the disciples 
were doing miracles before Jesus died. Okay? He would send them out, apart from him, and they just say the name Jesus, and miracles would happen. But it was the power of the Holy Ghost that they needed in order to be witnesses. Because you can say the name of Jesus in his power and authority, and whatever he wants has to be done. But that does not mean you have changed. You still, you can be singing, dancing, and preaching, giving all that good word and ministry. People slain, laid out, hearts healed, and your life is a wreck. You up here sneaking it, getting it, all that kind of stuff, right? But don't think because God is using you that you are right with him. No, he used you for that person. He's still very much so displeased with your state. So the the disciples needed the power of the Holy Ghost in order to live what they were preaching. Because when it got tough, and it was like they saw Jesus get get killed, persecuted, and, you know, crucified, Peter was like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Can we fight him back? Jesus said, no, uh uh-uh, I ain't doing this. And Peter cut his, the man's ear off when he tried to take Jesus. Yeah. Jesus was like, ah, oh, put your sword away, man. We ain't going to do that. He put the man's ear back on. Now, can you imagine as a man, somebody trying to come into your set, take one of your homeboys, and act like it's okay, and then your homeboys say, it's cool, man. We just going to keep taking these L's just like this. You're like, what? Uh-uh. See, I was down with you, bro, until you said we're going to be looking like some punks. Okay, I, now I can't. I can't. I ain't down with that no more. And so Peter had a hard time accepting the call of God, and he could not actually use his strength. He couldn't fulfill his desire because Peter is mad. Vengeance. No, Peter. What? Peter is hurt. Somebody need to pay. No, Peter. What? Peter is feeling like it's an injustice. We need justice. Not right now, Peter. Not right now. He could not fathom this. But the father knew without his spirit, no matter how much you preached, you could not live it and actually show that it's true. Salvation was not about miracles. It wasn't about getting your needs met. Salvation was about making sure you didn't go to hell. Pretty much. And this goes back to the conversation I had with Sister Glenda. Glenda, raise your hand so everybody know. There you go. All right. Because if it was just about forgiveness, then he'll just keep forgiving you over and over and over again. But that does not change your nature. So like a fish cannot live out of water, your nature has to change in order to dwell with God. Hello? Now everybody's convicted like, oh, dang it. Every time I think I'm doing good, it'd be like, here go another thing I ain't got right. My whole nature's probably down bad. Probably. Probably. But there's hope today. Hello? Now, now, listen very carefully to all you saints who are currently living righteous. You know how you do. You ain't had cake in a long time. A couple weeks has been. Look at you. Feeling pretty good about yourself. Even cracked your Bible open the other day. Like, look at me. Right? Look at me. Look how I'm looking. This message ain't for me. I got real problems because sin ain't it no more because I stopped as of three weeks ago. Boom. Let me tell you something. If it was that recent, this message is for you. 
If it was in a month, this message is for If it was in three months, this message is for If it was in a year, this message is for If it was in two years, this message is for Oh, y'all, for real? For two years? If it was in three years, this message is for what? Okay, because this is what I know. I've seen you, and you've seen you abstain from things for many years and go right back to them. How did this happen? How? I was doing so good. I was being so holy. I was walking with the Lord. How did this happen? What did I do? And we began to feel this intense amount of I've done something wrong and I cannot figure it out. And how do I know if I try to do it again that I'm going to go another five years and I'm going to slip up again? See, what is the point? Yeah. It's not time that will determine this for you. Do you understand? It's a work of the spirit that God wants you to be affirmed that you have. Like he wants you to know in yourself that you are not doing that again and you are making it to heaven. That's the plan. Hello? Not from your own efforts, which is pride, but you saw the work of his spirit. Some of you have willed yourself to stop smoking. You can smoke again. You willed yourself to stop sleeping, making, baking cakes. You can, you can bake cakes again. You willed yourself to to eat cupcakes because you love cupcakes, right? And to stop eating brownies because brownies is of an opposing type of dessert. Okay, baking is to marry couples as, okay, I don't know your SAT questions. Just let me say, okay, baking cakes. In order to bake a cake in the oven, you got to do some things to put some ingredients in, mix it all up. Pop that baby in the oven. All right. Now, so even though you have abstained because you know you're supposed to eat cupcakes because you is a cupcake. I mean, because you're supposed to eat cupcakes because you was a brownie. All right. Then you decide, no, I'm going to start eating cupcakes again. But people that are cupcakes should not mix with brownies. That's an abomination. I mean, cupcakes with cupcakes. I'm confused. Okay, cupcake plus cupcake eats more cupcakes. You don't want cupcakes with cupcakes. You want cupcakes with brownies because then it's all ooey gooey and it's like a blondie. You put the ice cream on it to be all melted in the center and that crispy on the outside. That's, that's what you want. This, this new thing, this new dessert. You don't want two brownies. That's just more brownies. You don't want two cupcakes. That's just more cupcakes, all right? Because at some point, too many brownies is too much chocolate. Too much chocolate. So you might have been able to abstain from the brownies or the chocolate or the cupcakes at some point. But that was because you knew it was wrong and you willed yourself to do it. Do you understand? You willed yourself to go on a diet. You willed yourself, right? And you come back and say, no, the Lord helped me. But the truth of the matter is you don't know if your desire has changed. Because if you were given the ability to do it again without any consequences, you would still do it. What? Let's back it up. Your nature's changed when you recognize that even if there are no consequences, I still don't want it. If we remove all the consequences, if we remove the fact that God will be upset with you, if we remove the fact that you could go to hell, if we remove the fact that you might get some kind of diabetes, if you remove all of these things, right, 
and say, well, do you still want to do it? And you go, well, absolutely. Then your nature has not changed. Do you understand? We're looking for somebody that says, you still want this cupcake? And you go, I don't want no cupcakes now. I'm done with them cupcakes. Okay, that isn't. I am a cupcake myself. I don't want no more cupcakes. That is stupid. But see, that didn't happen. So in essence, everybody is just trying to will themselves to do right. Everybody is trying to will themselves to be good people. Everybody is trying to will themselves to do what they think they're supposed to do, which means your nature has not changed because you are not capable in your own will to change your nature. You can only change your habits, and thus you're only changing what we see, but not what we don't see. We change how your hands and eyes are looking, but we don't change the nature of who you are. And that's a problem because a fish cannot survive on dry land. Hello? Let's look at Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 for a second. We're going to go through a lot of chapters in Romans. But let's at Romans chapter 8 verse 14 really quickly. All right. Are you at Romans 8 14? For all who are led by the Spirit, uh, the Spirit of God, are sons of who? Of God. That's good. That's good to know, right? For all those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Galatians 5.18, don't go there. We're going to go there in a minute. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The entire aspect of being led by the Spirit of God is about sin. About how? Because Paul had a problem with the Roman church and the Galatian church. The problem initially with the Galatian church is people were too legalistic in the law. And if they weren't too legalistic, they were too licentious, which means they like doing real bad things. So some people are like, you gotta be the churchy church type. You know, you gotta be do it just right, wear your skirts down to here, putting this up, put that down. And others are like, you ain't gotta do none of that. We can just live how we wanna live because we free in God and He knows our heart and He gonna forgive us so we could just do whatever we're feeling. In both cases, Paul is trying to tell people uh, that are believers how to handle sin in their lives. Some people say just be real religious and just dot every I, cross every T, and then you'll, you'll stay saved. Another said, well, we already don't have to do the law, so our hearts are clean. Let's just do what God puts on our hearts. We know we're going to get married one day. God is love. I love you. If de facto, let's do this. And that's wrong, too. So trying to talk to a bunch of believers about being led by the Spirit because most people will say it's okay in moderation. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Aristotle? Was it Aristotle? I want to say Aristotle that had the mean of morality, that the goal of morality is to find a, a good, healthy balance. You know, don't do it too much. But since you're not under the law, it's okay to do it some. Paul avoids that concept altogether. He says it has nothing to do with trying to find balance. It has nothing to do with trying to make sure you don't overdo it. He says it's something even higher than that and that you don't have to worry about if it's too much or too less if you are led by the Spirit. That's good. 
You'd have to figure out if this is right or wrong if you're led by the Spirit. You have to figure out, well, is this kind of what God wants me? I don't know, because it me or is it God if you're led by the Spirit. Paul says, forget trying to figure out the balance. And the new standard is to be led by the Spirit. Now, in order to understand this concept, we need to understand sin. And I know you think you know it. But Paul tries to explain that if you really understood sin, you'd understand the Holy Spirit. And since that is confusing to you, don't really understand the nature of sin. Now in Galatians, we read that. Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. <clears throat> it says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not, you are not under the law. Galatians 5, 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. All right? There's a lot of teaching on the Spirit. Verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there are no law. That the fruit of the flesh is in all manner of sin, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. I mean, he just goes, if you're doing stuff in the flesh, and what is the flesh? Flesh is when you do something that is specifically to please yourself. That's it. You're self-conscious. That means your physical body and your soul. The physical body is outside conscious, but it wants what pleases its physical abilities. The soul wants what pleases its inside. Both of them are self-centered, self-focused. So Paul's saying to live or to sow into the flesh is to be worried about things that you want and not the things that God wants. So when you're trying to find balance in something, that could get out of hand or unholy. The issue here is that the only reason you need balance is because there's something unholy you still want to do. That's the only reason you need balance. I need balance with my time. Why? Because there's some other things I want to put my time in that I don't think the Lord thinks is a priority, but I do, so I need balance. Hello? I need to have some balance with, with my money because I know there's probably some things that the Lord would love if I would give my money to, but I don't want to give my money all that stuff. So if de facto, I need what? Balance. So even trying to find balance is still contingent upon you adding self into what you think God wants. And Paul says, bump all of you, forget you, and it's all about what he wants. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. The difficulty of this message and why some of you are feeling sleepy it's because Satan would love for you not to hear it. Because I just sound like a bunch of theology. I'm giving you a ton of theology in bite-sized pieces. Yes? And theology is the study of God. And Satan doesn't want you to really understand truth about God. He prefers if you, how you interact with God is based off of feelings and not fact. All right? So if you feel like being saved today, you'll be saved. If you don't feel like it, then you won't. If you feel like listening to this today, you will. If you don't feel like it, then you won't. He's hoping that you won't truly have any understanding of truth and facts yeah. so that you can continue to live based off of how you feel. Yeah. I was talking to Shamar the other day, and, you know, we both love music. And he loves R&B, but he likes it from my day. So, you know, I'm like, yes, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. At first, when we first got here, I was like, all right, we both liked it. Mm, 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 mm. Got it. Yes, that's good music. I was so excited. And then I realized, er, hold on, pump your brakes just for a second. 
the effect that this music has on me is uniquely different than the effect this music might have on you. Now, for me, I'm taken back to my high school days, you know, and, and, uh, you know, the butterfly, Tootsie Roll, ow. I'm like, yes. I'm not thinking I want to hump nobody. I'm not thinking I'm trying. I'm just thinking, oh, that was a good old days. Uh, uh. Okay, now, I say to Shamar, mighty young man of God, you are responsible for what this music makes you feel. Is it wrong if I listen to it? Uh-uh. It's not about being right or wrong. It's how you are being led by the Spirit. And I know he was like, I wish you wouldn't have told me that. I'd rather you tell me it's wrong so then eventually I can get mad at the religiosity of everything. Tell me it's wrong and I can say, you know what, I'm so tired of everything. I have to be so right or wrong. All this religion everywhere. I need to be free from religion. I ain't going to say that. Don't you tell me it's right so that I can have whatever I want and be okay with it. I ain't going to say that. I'm going to say you're responsible to be led by the spirit of God in you to choose what you should be listening to Amen. this day. Amen. This day. Maybe every day, but specifically this day. Because you're led by him. Come here, Taylor. All right. When we're led by the spirit, we walk by the spirit. You can walk with the Spirit, which is what the Scripture uses, and you can be led by the Spirit, and it's always similar to the same thing. Now, what you think being led by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit is like this. I'm the Holy Spirit. This is you. Taylor, come to me. Taylor, go this way to the left. Your right, my left. Taylor, go the other way. Taylor, go back that way. That's what you think being led by the Spirit is. It is not. Oh, Lord, we need more space because y'all really, I thought y'all would say, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, let's start. Let's need more space to walk this out. Let's say that you and I are talking. We're having a conversation together. So, Taylor, we go, you're gonna, we're going to walk and talk, okay. all right? So, Taylor, how was your day? It was good. It was good. What did you eat for lunch yesterday? I can't remember. Really? You can't remember at all what you ate? That's interesting. Well, I know I had some popcorn the other day, but, you know, I'm not supposed to be eating popcorn. Truly, what I'm supposed to be eating is, you know, pizza because, you know, I love pizza. Do you like pizza? I love pizza. You know, every so once in a while, I like pizza with Coca-Cola. Do you like pizza with Coca-Cola? Yeah. Oh, my God, I love pizza with Coca-Cola. Pizza with Coca-Cola is always so good. But then again, French fries. French fries is my most favorite food. Do you like French fries? I love, okay, do you see what's happening? Yeah. I am leading her through conversation. She can see where I'm taking her to go, not because I got to tell her left, right, left, right, left, right, but because we're in relationship, she can feel the slight nudges as we're talking. Hello, somebody, and she can go every which way, and she doesn't really have to ask me, should I go left, should I go right, is it now, is it tomorrow, when is it? Now watch this. The only reason you will start asking questions is because Let's say we're walking, and I'm talking to you, and you see something over there that you thought we was going to. See that look? See, now you got to ask God some questions. Lord, I thought we were going to the mall. Hello, somebody. But it seems like you're not going in the direction of the mall. See, now we got to stop. And now you're concerned about the direction I was easily leading you until you thought you understood where to go. Yeah. Your job is so good. Ooh, that's good. 
everything was perfectly fine till you got smart. Till you got a sense of direction. Right? Till you got knowledge of good and evil. Then you could say, but wait a minute, can't we just go there? And I'm up here, you up, can't we just go there? I'm gonna keep going this way. I suggest you follow. You don't follow. You don't follow. Now we got distance. Stay right there. Now I'm still talking to you. Hey, Taylor. Now depending on whether you're looking at me or looking at that place, will determine how effective my communication is with you. Because the further I get, the harder it is for you to hear me. Because I'm going to keep moving because I'm God, okay, okay? I'm going to keep moving. You, however, are still standing trying to figure out which way to go. Now, if you're looking at me, then you'll know that I'm talking to you. But if you're not looking at me, then you won't know what I'm saying. Because I'm so far away. Being led by the Spirit. Thank you, Taylor. Give her a round of applause. Being led by the Spirit is not about left, right, left, right. It was how do you respond to God when you are consistently in relationship with him? Because if you're worried about you, you're going to have to ask some questions. Are we sure we're going the right way? I mean, did I really hear you right? I thought you said this job was for me. I thought you said I was going to have this. I thought you said it was going to go out this way. And it looks to me now, and I'm so smart, that we're not going in the direction of that thing. And I don't like how this feels. So now what has stopped our flow is not you, God, but me. And what I think I know. Come on and bless the name of the Lord. Being led by the Spirit is hard. If you don't have relationship, the reason why you don't have relationship, that closeness, because of sin. And now we gotta talk about how to get rid of sin which is one of the primary functions of the Spirit of God, is to change our nature. Yes? Mm. For some clarity, the phrase being led by the Spirit occurs only twice in the New Testament, and both instances are frequently misused. The immediate context is the believer's battle with the flesh through the empowerment of the Spirit. The second use, as we talked about, occurs in Galatians. And here, the immediate context is the believer's battle with sin again. In both cases, the larger concern is to show us how to live joyful, obedient lives that produce the holiness and glory of God. Joyful, obedient lives. The issue is that that, them two things sometimes don't go together. It would appear to me that my obedience to you has now caused me joy. Hello? Nobody's ever been there? I mean, I know you told me not to do it, but golly, how long told you to do it like this? Like, this is just unbearable. Like, I got to obey, obey, obey. It's so hard. You don't really have any joy in doing this. You're not like, yay, look at me. Obeying. So fun. You're like, oh, I'm being tested and tried. Oh, I'm in miserable states. Satan keeps tempting me, and I have to keep resisting. That does not seem joyful, does it? Oh, he tempts me again, and I have to say no again. That does not sound like you having fun. It sounds like somebody is torturing you. Let's look at this. Let's understand sin and Satan. Because Christ says, if you love me, then my commands are not burdensome. And I've been in stages of my life, maybe you have not. 
where the commands of God seem burdensome. Like, really? I can't even have that? Not even that? Not even a little bit? I'm already sad. I just need this because I am sad. I need a little bit of joy because I am so sad. And now you're trying to tell me I can't even have that. Seems very burdensome to me. No? Am I the only one? No. Paul addresses two problems. Should we be legalistic? Or should we just be complete heathen, saved under grace? He says, no, you should be led by the Spirit. Let's look at Romans chapter. All of Romans. All of Romans. I'm not going to give you all. I'm going to give you a couple of chapters. But Romans is full of a conversation with the New Testament church. Like now y'all love Jesus and you know that he's saved, but I hear that there's sin. I hear, I hear that you've been sinning in the church. How is this happening? Because on Wednesday night, we talked about this, and I said, some of y'all need to get saved, saved. Like, you got saved, but you didn't get saved. You need to get saved, saved. And I know that you left like, oh, was I not saved? We're going to talk about what I mean by saved, saved. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. It just means there's some aspect that the Father wants you to walk in as it relates to his spirit that you are not walking in. Okay? And in short, there's some aspect of Christ death on the cross that you have not truly believed and received it as truth. So let's look at Romans. Let's start with Romans chapter 5. We're going to use the headers here to kind of guide us through it. Romans chapter 5 is headed peace with God through faith. Verse 6 says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies with God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. All right, this is complex, all right? What he's saying is the sacrifice of Jesus, because Christ had decided to be sacrificed before the earth was formed, knowing that we will be sinners. So in essence, he looks at a bunch of terrible people and says, I'm going to give my life for you while you are still terrible people. Not when you clean up and I think it's possibilities. I'm going to give my life for you while you are terrible people. And then he goes on to say, now if he did that, and that saves us from the wrath, but more importantly, he says, it saves us from how to live. The much more is Christ's death and burial on the cross could save you from the struggle of sin while you're living. What Paul is trying to say is that Christ's death on the cross not only allows you to go to heaven when you die, but it deals with the struggle that you will have while you're living on this earth. And he helps free you from that struggle. Because a Christian that is struggling with sin is an oxymoron to the idea that Christ died. And there are a lot of us that struggle with sin while we're Christians. So then he says, the death of Christ on the cross 
is not just for you to go to heaven. It also means that he's going to help you to live without sin on earth. Look at you. Didn't even know that was a possibility to live without sin. That ain't possible. Ain't nobody perfect. No, I, no, I don't mean no sin. I mean live without perpetual sin. Knowing sin. Sin that you planned. You understand? You might have sin that you didn't plan. Right? Like you stuff you told you curse. Uh, didn't plan that. All right? But you're going to have baked cakes with somebody. You had to plan that. I don't care what you told me. It just happened. No, it did not. It is impossible for it just to happen. Planning and preparation had to take place. Somebody had to call somebody. Somebody had to be present. Somebody else had to be present. Some things had to be shed, and some things had to get together. And that was all planned. Hello? Smoking weed just didn't happen. It wasn't an accident you smoked weed. I was just in the room. I was just in the room in the contact. No, 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 no. I also saw you put it in your hand, and you did that number right there. That number right there is planned. The breathing part, not necessarily, but the putting of the thing to your mouth and then breathing in, that, that part was planned. Hello? Yeah. Popping that pill was planned. Taking that shot was planned. Making that lie was planned because you had to think about was the lie going to work? And what ways could you peek through my lie? Oh, that was planned. Oversleeping was planned. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it did. You ain't even set your alarm. <laughs> you planned for that. Huh? I hope I get my way and I sleep long. Oh no, did I oversleep? Oh, I'm sorry. It was planned. So now Paul is trying to say, as believers, you're missing one of the wonderful blessings we have, and that is that the Spirit of God through Christ will help you to live without the struggle of sin. You would think that people would be so excited to hear this. Like, finally, I get to stop struggling with sin. Why don't the people in here seem excited? I think maybe because they don't struggle with sin no more. But when I say that the spirit of God has been given to us so that we on earth in the land of the living will no longer have to struggle with sin. I just don't hear people seeming excited about this. It was like, okay. But if I said, but God, Christ came so that now you don't have to struggle and be broke. Christ came, now you ain't got to struggle without having a car. Oh, he going to bless you. You going to live on top of the world. You going to have everything you want. Because God want to bless you. He want to give you a car. He want to give you a house. He said you above and not beneath. You was the tail and never the tail. You was a king sitting on top of the world, baby. Yay. The crowd goes crazy. You get more reaction from that. Than you do from the idea that one of the biggest blessings of Christ's sacrifice is that while you're living, you don't have to struggle with sin. And the fact that the majority of the people in this room are currently struggling with sin, I would think that this is the point you'd be like, Finally, somebody tell me how to do this. I thought I had it, but it was not working. I thought I understood it, but it did not make sense. I was trying a whole bunch of stuff, but it still did not work. Please, Pastor, if you have the answer through Christ, please tell me. Jesus. We have to talk about your salvation for a second. And now we shall be saved by his life. 
Verse 12 of Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was even given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. See? See how, see how you need to be reading the Bible? See how easily we got confused on that? That's why you need to be studying. Now let's, let's break this part together. Don't worry, I got confused on it too a little bit. He's saying since Adam brought sin into the world through disobedience. Look, we said Adam. Adam disobeyed. Eve was deceived. Two different things. Two different things. The sin came through Adam who was disobedient because Adam knew better. The Bible says Eve was thoroughly deceived. Maybe she's thinking, why would anybody tell me anything untrue? Or why would any of God's creation not be loyal to him? Maybe that was her deception. Or maybe she was deceived because Satan promised her something that seemed very good. And she knew God to be a good God. He would want her to have this good thing. So he deceived her by telling her, you will not surely die. That this is just a part of you knowing and being more like God. That's deception. Make sense? The deception is Satan, one, had to lie to her. If you believe someone that lied to, that, that to you, in order for you to believe somebody's lie, you either, one, have to trust them, or two, have a desire for it yourself. She probably had both. Because she saw the fruit and saw that it was good and desirable, good to make one wise. Yes? And maybe Lucifer at the time was thought to be a, a trusted agent of God. I do not know. But she ate. Then she gave it to Adam, and he, knowing what God said, not deceived, the Bible says, disobeyed. That's why I love talking on the retreat. This is a lot about women that the church has personified that is not necessarily biblical. There's a lot of things about men that are not necessarily biblical. Minister Hudson will be ministering to the men on some of those things, and I'll be ministering to the women. But let's move on. Okay, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were sinning, their sinning was not like Adam. What he's saying is, by the time Moses came with the law, there were people that were sinning even before the law. They were doing stuff before the actual law was written, right? Killing somebody wasn't cool. Lying wasn't cool, right? But when God said, thou shalt not, through Moses, now it became increasingly sinful. Make sense? Romans 3.20, if you back up to there, it says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The law made it apparent that evil produces sin. And it shows sin to be sin. Now you have an awareness of sin. Yeah. Make sense? Now, this is tricky because the only reason that you would even consider sinning is because there is something that appears good to you and good for you. Okay. That's good. 
So I see something that I think is good for me, good, good for me to have. And then in my mind, why wouldn't God want me to have this? Because I need money, because I need companionship, because or whatever it is that looks good. But then he puts a law against how you get that thing. You can't get it that way. But that then heightens more sin because you can't understand. But if you know what's good for me and you want good things for me and I can't see no other way but this way to get it, then why am I then condemned for trying to have what is good for me? I'm just the only way I can see. I was walking with you, and then I saw, where you going? I know for a fact, you know for a fact, I know for a fact that that road is not going to take us to the mall. Jesus said, I don't need no road. So you can't fathom that, and that's why Paul continues. I'm not going to read all the verses, but Paul tries to have a conversation throughout the chapters in Romans to say the law given made more sin. Because once God created the law to say that these things that you're doing are wrong, even though you kind of knew they were wrong, the issue here is that by reason, human beings know that things are wrong. Yeah. By reason. Without religion, just by common morality, we know that things are wrong. Yeah. This also sheds light to the atheists who say that we're just some glob of stuff that came together accidentally. Because how in the world do all humans have the same general moral code? Evolution doesn't do that. No. Evolution doesn't tell you what's right or wrong and it be universal for all human beings. Evolution only says, do what is good for you to survive. Yeah. Right? But there's something else running in man, beyond his flesh, that then says, do something for somebody else. Cry out against an injustice for somebody else that doesn't even affect you other than the fact that you witnessed it. Lay down your life. Go on a march. Protest. Do whatever you can for somebody else. Say that that roar and that crime is not justified. Put your life on the line for freedom for somebody else. Where did this come from? Because evolution did not give you that. Evolution only says take care of yourself. Get what you want for yourself. Make sense? Hmm. So then the law comes along. The law comes along and says that now how you think you need to get this, you're not supposed to get it that way. Does that make sense? So now you're limited to how you can get it. And for you, you can't see no other way that you can get it. I I don't see how it's going to work unless I, I mean, I got to lie on my taxes because how else am I? But now the law comes, it makes your sin even more sinful. Because you kind of knew it wasn't right to do it that way. But now that there's a law, it's really not right. Like, I knew I was jealous, but isn't everybody? Maybe. Maybe everybody's a little jealous. The law says, don't be jealous. It's a sin. Oh, so jealousy is really wrong. Even if other people are doing it. Because I was like, think if everybody's pretty much struggling with this, then it can't be wrong. It's still wrong, and everybody does it. It's still wrong and we all do it? Yup. How are we going to save ourselves if we all do it? Who am I going to turn to to say, how do I stop being jealous? Huh? Who am I going to turn to to say, who am I going to turn to say, how I stop coveting? Since we all do it. Who's going to stop it? Who's going to help me to stop? 
And if you help me to stop, does it change my nature or just change my habits? Because I went to the therapist and I went to the, it just changed my habits. It didn't change my nature. Because if you let me have it again without any consequences, I will take it. Some of y'all just ignored the consequences and took it anyway. Risky. He says, now the law makes things increasingly more sinful, and it also lets you be aware exactly that sin exists, that the person that created you said no to something. And he says no to something because you think you want it, and you need it, and it's supposed to be yours. He says no. What am I supposed to do? The course of reasoning in the chapters of Romans shows the sense in which the apostle Paul uh, uses it. He says he intends evidently to apply it to the, those rules or laws by which the Jews and Gentiles pretended to frame their lives and to affirm that people could be justified by no conformity to those laws. What he's saying here is Paul is, is talking to the church and saying you say that you're trying to live your life based off of the laws, but it is clear that that is not the case and the law is not changing you. If you kept all the commandments, even though you wanted to sin and you didn't sin, you are still not changed. Paul says that the law was given not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. Y'all don't want to help me today. Okay, let me, let me try it again. If God says, thou shalt not lie, right? And you are in a position where you could benefit from lying, right? And you know I could benefit if I told this little lie. But you say, I'm not going to do it. God say, thou shalt not lie. You say, hallelujah. I'm free from sin. No, you are not. Paul is trying to explain that the fact that you wanted to lie really shows how sinful you are. But I didn't lie. I said, I'm free from sin. No, you ain't. You still wanted to lie. Not that you thought it. You wanted to do it. You were tempted to do it. You had a desire to be dishonest for your own personal gain. And then through your own willpower or discipline, you did not. But your nature still says that you like to lie. That's why Paul says if you look at a woman, you've already committed adultery. He says because the nature of who you are has not changed. The law cannot make you justified is what Paul is trying to say. That he says, if, if, God, you, if you obey all the laws, it still does not make you saved. Because the idea is the law is there because you want to break the law. I got the law because you want to break it. And the fact that you want to break it means you have not changed. Somebody still wants to do things that are not right. Somebody still does not want to give up that desire. Somebody still does not trust that God can give them the same thing in the right way. Somebody still doesn't believe it. Somebody doesn't like to relinquish control. Paul is trying to say that the idea and false hope 
that we could be saved by doing the law is, is a lie. Like, you think that if I just obey what God says, then this is me being saved. And Paul is saying, no, it's not. It's not because the law cannot save you. He's like, what? If you tell me not to do it and I don't do it, then that's unrighteous. No, you're not righteous. You're just exerting some willpower. But it does not change your nature. He said, then how could the law save you when you broke the law? The same law that you broke cannot then save you is what Paul says. I'm kind of summing up a lot of chapters, okay? He says, because think of this. Think, if you shot somebody, you broke the law. You shot them, right? They said, you got to go to jail. He was like, oh, no, I got to go to jail. You can't have my cornbread. But what if you decided I'm going to give everybody my cornbread? I mean, I'm going to be nice to everybody. Now that I shot somebody, I'm going to try to do good. Right? I'm going to try to be on my best behavior. I'm not going to do no more sin. I'm going to walk the straight and narrow. And let's hypothetically say that you could actually do that. For the rest of your life, break no more laws. Commit no more sin. Okay? You think that being good for the rest of the time is now somehow going to free you from prison. The reason you're in prison is because you broke the law. If you keep another law, it does not erase the fact that you broke that law. It doesn't change it. You are under the law, you broke the law, that law has condemned you to jail. Or according to scripture, it condemned you to hell. Even if you kept every law moving forward, it does not erase the fact that you have a consequence of the law you broke, which is death. Yeah. Right? You can be good and try to do best all you want, but it doesn't remove that. And the fact that it's hard to do right because you're tempted to do wrong only proves the idea that you will still be a murderer. And the only reason you're not murdering is because you hope you can get out. If you do right. Jesus. Oh, y'all don't want to help me. The only reason you're not sinning is because you hope that God will help you not get pregnant. Help heal your disease from sex. Help, help get you some money. Help give you a brand new car. Help you graduate. The only reason you're stopping is because you just hope that God will help you. Like, I, I got to be good so God can bless me. I mean, I know I'm saved by him, but, you know, never slips. I still got to do good. You know, I did a lot of bad. I got to do good. I got to do good. He said, even if that's true, you still have a nature to sin. And you don't really know in yourself if you're being obedient because you want to be or being obedient because you're afraid of the consequences. He said, the law can't save you. Because the law tells you your sin, tells you what happens if you sin, shows you the consequences is death. So even if you tried to keep the law and struggled against your desires, you're still met with the idea that death belongs to you and there's nothing you can do about it. So trying to be good from here on out doesn't work. And you really don't know if you're just going to stop sinning because you're tired of getting STDs. 
You really don't know if you're going to stop sinning because the consequences are so tough that you don't want to deal with that no more. You really don't know if the only reason you stop is because you don't want to be embarrassed, because you don't want to be put to shame, because you don't want to go through that again. See, all of that is just fear and consequences. It does not mean that your nature has changed because if we remove the consequences and you can get away with it and there's no problem and you can have whatever you want and you won't go to hell and things will still work out in your life, would you still want to sleep with them? If there are no consequences, would you still want to sleep with her? If there were no consequences, would you still drink the drink? If there were no consequences, would you still smoke the weed? Even when the law lifts the ban on weed smoking, you mean to tell me because it's legal is right? When the law was given to show that habitual weed smoking is not good for you. But we say, we'll say what's good for us. Free us from these bonds. And the ones that would always be weed heads are now more weed heads. The ones that thought they could be a weed head, but was too afraid, now are weed heads. Because the fear of going to jail over it has been lifted. What's wrong with smoking weed? Oh, so you like being out of your mind. You like not being present. You prefer to not work on discipline and strength and emotional stability. You rather just tap out on that. Because a struggle is designed to give you emotional stability. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't get no stronger if you don't lift no weights. But you say, give me one of the machines that kind of do it for you. You know what I'm talking about them? I don't want one of the freeways. Give me one machine to go click, 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 and I can adjust how easy I want it to be. Ooh, I'm in here working out. You ain't did you did. But freeways be like, ha ha, ha ha, no help, all muscle. But they had to work up to that. So every trial and tribulation is designed for you to work up to being the type of individual that God has called you to be. But you decide I'd rather smoke and bow out on that workout. Hello? Then you can't understand why you need weed every day to get up. Why you need weed every day to go throughout your day. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. You can't understand why you just can't be by yourself. I'm so lonely. I just thought other people can be by themselves. I can't be by myself. Because you've never let yourself be by yourself. That is why you cannot be by yourself. Because the muscle to be as God created you in that area, you did not work out. Nor would you let yourself work it out. And now you're amazed that he says, now, you should not be sleeping with somebody. You should not be shacking with someone. And you're amazed that this is hard for you to comprehend why God is telling you not to do this. Could it be that you can't understand why God is telling you because of your desire? Because the rest of us on the outside can clearly see. God does not want want that for your life. And you're like, why wouldn't he want that? We're not even sleeping together that much. Like last week, we didn't even do nothing. I mean, I could stop if I wanted to. The idea that if I stop doing anything bad, I can keep, I can be made perfect doesn't doesn't exist. Right? The law that condemns you, you cannot then obey the law and think it's going to free you. Yes? 
The law was given to the unrighteous, not the righteous, says 1 Timothy 8. First uh, Timothy 1, 8 through 10. You're not doing something sinful that you could have done and that you desire to do only reveals that the law was needed. Let me, do it. Let me say it again. The law was given to the unrighteous, not the righteous. The fact that you had to be told right? Not to do something that you wanted to do only reveals that you needed the law. Because the law says if you sin, you get death. You needed that to give you some buffer to stop sinning. Just to stop sinning, just to try it even though your nature hasn't changed. But God's plan was to send Christ and thereby give you his spirit that your, his spirit could change your nature. That's why the old covenant had to be fulfilled through Christ because the law just temporarily stopped you from sinning yeah. habitually. But the spirit of God is the only thing that can change your nature. And Christ had to die in order for God's spirit, which is holy, to dwell in your unholy body. So now Christ's death allows his spirit to dwell in you, thus transforming your soul to be more like him, where your soul and your spirit become more one than they are separate. It's tough. Hello? So we realize you needed the law because it was obvious you needed the law. Because if there were no consequences, no death, no scarcity, no prison, no sickness, no disease, no poverty, no broken heart. If there was none of those, you would continue to do everything your heart desired, oh, even yeah. though you knew it was wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Obviously. But it is the sin that's going to send you to hell. Hello? The law was given to the unrighteous, not the righteous. You know, doing something sinful that you could have done and that you desire to do only reveals that you needed the law. But no matter how perfectly you live after that, it does not change the fact that you at one point broke the law because you desired to do so. If you keep every law, it does not change the idea that you, you broke a law because you wanted to. You're the type of person that will do evil because you choose to. Oh, y'all don't want to, y'all don't really understand. You don't really, you know, not me, not me. No, 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 no. We all. Sin says, I know it's wrong, but I want to do it anyway. And far be it for anybody to think that you were so evil that you would know something that God completely hates. And you're going to say, the heck with you. I'm going to do it because I want to. No, I didn't mean to. No, you meant to. Even more than that. So, so that doesn't change. If you keep every law after that, it does not mean that you're no longer the type of person that doesn't want to break the law. You're still that type of person. You just don't like the consequences, and you're trying to get the consequences removed. But that is not salvation the way God intended it. That's just more law. He intended that God, through Christ, would forgive all your sins so that this, his spirit could dwell in you and change your desires. 
The problem is you have not allowed the spirit of the Lord to change your desires. You don't even believe that he can. You are so connected to your flesh, to your emotions, that you pretty much told yourself, I'm going to struggle with this for the rest of my life. That somehow you're just human and not superhuman the way God intended. That you can't do anything but obey your flesh and obey the desires to keep yourself. Hello? But that's not salvation. He intended that you no longer struggle while you're living with sin so that you might be a wonderful testimony to others when you preach the gospel. That you're not supposed to be preaching it and, oh, don't, don't, don't do as I say, not as I do. I mean, you know, ain't nobody perfect, you know what I'm saying? I, 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 you know. Okay, we should hear that you messed up yeah. a while ago. Yeah. Not that you're still messing up. Like, I was where you are, not I am still sometimes visit that place. No, 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 no. Leaders are called leaders in the body of Christ because the pastor has solidified that you have the type of spirit that is ready to remove your desires and take the fathers. So I start you off small. Department leads. Tribe chiefs. Can I be a minister? Ooh, 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 ooh. That's going to be tried and tested. Hello? In fact, it reveals your struggle all the more to breaking the law. What is interesting, I'm really surmising some things that Paul said. What is interesting, or the interesting thing about the sacrifice because he gave us the law, right, so that we might be able to see it. But then he also, with the law that produces death, gave us sacrifices in the Old Testament, right? Oxen, sheep, goat, birds, flower, things that we can offer up that will cover our sin temporarily. Let's think about this, because it's not that strange. Sin is the idea that you did what you wanted to do to get what you wanted. Yeah. That's sin. That you did what you wanted to do to get what you wanted, even if God said no. Yeah. That's sin. How many of you are in that statement? You did what you wanted to get what you wanted. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Right. And it's clear you shouldn't do it that way, but I need to do it that way because I need to get what I want. Yeah. That's sin. Right? You want companionship? So I'm going to go bake cakes even though I don't have a ring because I want companionship. And this is the only way I know how to get companionship. So I will do what is wrong. Number one, I enjoy it. So I could do what I want to get even more of what I want. Hello? Hello? Mm. Okay. Sacrificing something. In order for something to be a sacrifice, it had to be something you wanted. A sacrifice is only a sacrifice if it's something you wanted. Yeah. It's not a sacrifice you give somebody the old shoe that you don't even wear no more. No. If you think that's a sacrifice, something is wrong with you. Yeah. You're a hoarder. Yeah. You don't even want it, don't even wear it, but you ain't going to give it to nobody. You are selfish and a hoarder. Yeah. But for the most part, for something to be a true sacrifice, if you're not mental, is that it had to be something you want. Yes? So now... In order to cover us in the Old Testament, 
God gives us the law. It says wages of sin is death. You committed sin. You're going to die. However, I will stay my hand of judgment if you can bring me the sacrifice. What is the sacrifice? I want something you want to get something else that you want. I want you to give something you want. Better yet, I want you to do something you don't want to do to get something that you want. Why well, I got to sacrifice my best sheep? Why well, I got to sacrifice this? Why well, I, well, I got to live like that? Why well, I got to let that go? He's saying, I will cover you temporarily if you could show me, not that you can keep the law because you can't, but you have the type of heart that says now you are willing to do something you don't want to do in order to get something you want. Sin is doing something you want to do to get what you want. A sacrifice is doing something you don't want to do to get something you want. Which one is harder? It is easy to do what you want to do to get what you want. It is easy. It does not show anything about your nature. But maybe if I can get you to do something you don't want to do and you do it for something you do want, then maybe you really do want that. And you're willing to give up something you don't want. So sacrifices were given as a temporary stay to see if human beings, because we are not all completely evil, just mostly, right? Just mostly, mostly evil, right? But who is it that is willing to give up what they want to get something that they want even more? Who's willing to sacrifice themselves to get something that they want? Now, back it up a bit more. The thing about sin is every sin that you commit is because you can clearly see the link between the action and the thing you want. It's a straight line. A plus B equals C. Every sin is committed because you could see that if I do this action, I will get that thing that I want. It is a straight, clear, and direct line. Am I right? Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. 100%. If I do that, I'm going to feel good. If I do that, I'm going to get that. It's clear. A sacrifice, however, is not very clear. Because with a sacrifice, you have to give up something you don't want in hopes. Y'all don't want to help me. With a sacrifice, you got to give up something you don't want in hopes that the God who told you to sacrifice it will then give you the thing that you do want. You don't see a clear line from giving the goat to going to heaven. What? How? how? I I don't see a clear line from sacrificing the pigeon. To having a whole kingdom. What? No, I don't, I don't see how. There's no clear direct line in your mind about how this current action could directly put you in this future reward. So by faith, y'all don't want to help me today. By faith, you offer your sacrifice in hopes that you know that God will give you the thing that you want. So now you're willing to give up something you want with the hope that God will give you the real thing that you want. I'm going to give up sleeping with this person today in hopes that God will give me true love tomorrow. 
I'm going to give up trying to satisfy this need today in hopes that God will truly satisfy it for me tomorrow. These are the types of people that receive Christ. These are they. The ones that say, I can't make up for what I do wrong. I can't. I can't make none of it right even when I try. But I need some way that you should just know that since you are my creator now that I recognize it, and you, I need to do something to say that even though I'm very bad, but I do want to be very good. I desire to be good somewhere in some aspect of my heart. Yeah. No matter how many goats and sheep I bring, yeah. I know when I go home, I still sin. No how many sacrifices I bring, no, how much, no matter how much flour I sacrifice, when I get home, I know that I'm still messing up. Yeah. And I'll be back the next year to offer more sacrifices. Yeah. And so while you're grateful that he gave you an opportunity to know him through just sacrifice, you can still say, I am still the same miserable person I've always been. I am still struggling with me. I still recognize that I want stuff that my God does not want for me to have. And I don't know what, why I want it. Oh, wretched man that I am because the thing I don't want to do is the thing I do do. And the thing that I don't that I do want to do, I don't do. I don't even know what's going on with me. Paul says there's a war in my members. And I want to do right. But evil is present. And when I tell myself do right, I still end up doing wrong. What's wrong with me? And Paul says, but God. The work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, is that Christ, who did not want to die, we saw that in the Garden of Gethsemane, passed this cup, then chose, but not my will, your will be done. So if it is a body that you need, I offer my body. Offer my body, what? For a kingdom that you promised that I hope that I will receive. Y'all don't want to help me today. And then he says, now you live the same way. You live the same way. The power of the Holy Spirit is mysterious. Because he comes in and he changes your desires. He makes you want stuff and want to do stuff that you normally wouldn't want to do. With no proof that something you want is actually going to happen but your faith. He says, well, it's okay. We remove the consequences of sex. There are no consequences of sex. You can just do whatever you want, right? And you go, wait a minute. So I'm supposed to have sex with someone. See, I got tired of using the analogy at this point. I'm supposed to have sex with someone, right? But we don't have any vows. I have no idea if this is really who you want me to be with. I don't know, know if you chose this partner for me. But we're supposed to just gratify our flesh in this. I don't even know if this marriage reflects who you are. No, I don't want to go, I don't want to satisfy my flesh that much. Yeah. So I will offer my body as a living sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. And then Paul goes on and say, he says, now, if Christ died, right? And the way that he died in obedience 
to give to the father what the father wanted with hopes of a future reign. He says, now that life is how you're supposed to be living. Okay, let's back it up. You remember when you cried because you couldn't seem to do right when you wanted to do right? You remember how you cried? You remember how you tried to do right, to be right, to be different, and it didn't work? Remember how many times you tried? How many times you tried to get it right? How many times people denied you, doubted you, you doubted yourself? How many times you desperately wanted to be somebody different and couldn't? And the power of the Holy Spirit through Christ's sacrifice says, I will give you something worth dying for. See, the only reason that you were ever trying to do right and couldn't was because you desired to be more of what God wanted you to be. But even as much as you wanted to be it, you wanting that was not enough for you to sacrifice it because you still did it. Y'all don't want to help me. All right. I want to have the cake, but I'm not not supposed to have cake, so I'm not going to have no cake. I'm not going to have no cake. I'm not going to have no cake. I really want to please the Lord. I'm not going to have no cake. It is good that I please the Lord. I really want to please the Lord. I'm not going to have no cake. Give me that cake. The truth in the trying is that you wanted to. The also truth in the failing is that you couldn't. And even for your own sake, you couldn't. Your life is on the line. And even for your own sake, a reward of life for yourself, you still can't do it. I got three, I got two strikes. I can't get no third strike. And somehow you find yourself with that dog on third strike. You look at yourself, if I know crack is killing me, why can't I stop doing crack when I know it's killing me? I should love myself enough. I should want for myself enough. Why don't I? And he says, you are not enough to live for you. I'm going to give you me, and can you live for me? Paul says, a good man will scarcely die for another good man. You know you're not good. You know you're no good. You trying to live for your no good self is not good motivation. But Christ dying, he says, now live for me. Live for me. What? Live for me. Die to your flesh and live for me. What do you mean? Live for me. I know you want a reason to be good. You want something that you could really desire that won't fail. You want something that will consistently and perpetually make you more of who you're supposed to be. You are willing to go through Hades and hell water for crap. Now, I promise to give you goodness. Can you live for me? You're a man of courage, of valor. You're strong. You're nobody's punk. He said, now live for me. You're a woman of faithfulness and dedication, intense passion and strength. He says, now live for me. And now, looking at a righteous God who loved you so much that he would die for you, you go, you want me? I want you. You want me. Like this. I want you like that. For real? For real. Do I need to clean up? I like you. Come on. Right now, right now. 
When he says, I want you, you intrinsically, the same hair that you didn't comb for yourself because you was depressed, the same shower you didn't take for yourself because you were depressed. The same meal you didn't cook for your children because you were depressed. The same grades you didn't make because you're depressed. The same prayers you didn't pray for yourself. Now, the desire of God for you has told you, well, if you want me, and you is a big deal. I need, I need, let me go clean myself up for it. Let me try to, try to put something on. Let me, let me try to put something on, put some smell goods on, do something nice, put some cologne on. I don't know. I need to do something because the Lord said he want me. And when somebody says, well, now do you want to do crack? What? Did you just, did I, did, I just, did you just hear me? God wants me. Do you know who God is? He runs everything. If I'm in good with him, there's no good thing I can't have. So I don't need to do crack in order to have peace. Because the man that can give me perpetual peace wants me. Crack is what? It's a poor man's drug. I got Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit transforms us and reforms us with the idea that he can change your desires because now you can live for him. Every sacrifice that you're hoping will yield something good, you can now do it because he's already promised you good. Do you understand? You get to be free from all the sin and all the mistakes because he died and you believe it. Because he was able to live without sin and then he gives you his spirit so that you could live how? Without sin. Free. Right? Just loving on God. Just serving God. And somebody said, well, you can still have this sin. What, what we say, you ain't gonna go to jail with it. Nah, I'm good. But it's, you, you don't have to go to jail no more. Nah, for real, I'm good. But you know, man, she said she just want to see how it is one time, and then, and then, you know, she'll know. She'll be yours forever. Nah, I'm good. I'm good on that, for real. I'm good. It is so hard for people to contemplate the idea that you could just love the Lord and be okay not having stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to this dude the other day, or rather he was trying to talk to me. Nevertheless... I told him, I said, I'm okay with not getting married, you know. Oh, no, nah, sis, don't say that. You're too beautiful. You got to stand on the word and declare the word. You got to hold God up to his word. I will, I will not. I will not. I will not. Do. He said, you got to hold God accountable to his word. I will not, sir. I will not. He said, you, you can't think like that. Somebody out there for you, you know what I'm saying? You're still young. God can still bless you with a husband. I said, I did not say I don't want to be married. I said, I'm okay if I don't. He said, but even that little percentage that you think you can't get it, you're doubting. I'm not doubting. I don't care. Well, you just bitter. I'm not bitter. I am contented. And now I love the Lord so much so, and he's never withheld any good thing from me, that if I don't get married, then I trust that he said it was not good for me. And a whole bunch of married folk could have, you know what, I should have figured out what God thought that was good for me before I did this. I'm satisfied and I'm contented. I'm not bitter. I'm not upset. I'm trusting the Lord, period. If it comes, it's good. If it doesn't, it's good. If it comes, it could be bad. If it doesn't come, it could still be bad. Nevertheless, people can't even fathom. He said, but, but you can still get this from God. I said, listen, bruh, I do not have to have everything I want in this life. Yeah. This messes with your head because you've been told 
that life is only about getting everything you want. Yeah. And if you can't get everything you want, you need to figure out why you're not getting it and try to figure yeah. out how to get it. The whole conversation was about whether he thought I was doing enough to get married. Where are you going out? I've been out. Where are you on the apps? I've been on the apps. Well, do you, do you, do you look, do you dress nice and go out? What do you mean do I dress? I, he said, well, then you look in the mirror, you see stuff you don't like, do you work on? I said, I don't look in the mirror and see stuff I don't like. I'm not even insecure. I'm like, ooh, I look good. I guess it's all for the Lord. Oh, well. <laughs> I don't look at me like, ooh, I'm so ugly. Nope, that's not my thing. It's not my thing. Unfortunately, it's not my thing. Thank you, God. All right? I'm like, yup, flaws and all. He said, well, I'm pretty sure you do. You're probably 8.5. I said, oh, what? Did you just rank me? Now, even though I probably would have ranked myself a seven, it's the idea that you are five. Think that I. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't say any of that. I didn't say any of that. I just said, oh, thank you. Thank you so much for that compliment. Thank you. But you should want to be married. I do. But I'm okay if I don't. Because what I want more is to live a life that is pleasing to the Father. That's what I want more. The spirit of the Lord has come into my life and changed my desires. Now everything here is temporary and everything there is eternal. Yeah. And I'm not going to give up anything eternal for something temporary. Yeah. The, my insides have changed by the spirit. Mm -hmm. And that's how you know. Because now when you're normally tempted by everything temporal, it's not a temptation for you. Like you got to really pull yourself into into it to be a temptation. Like you gotta like, ooh, he's so fine, he's so fine, he's so fine, he's so fine, like this, like that, like this. Like you really gotta work into it, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, I still be like, I don't want that. We're gonna, have, we're gonna sin and then what? Then, then what are we gonna do? Get married? Ew! I'm stuck with you and you ain't got no discipline and neither do I! Yeah. Ew! You're just as selfish as I am! Ew! Now I'm stuck with being selfish myself, married to another person that's selfish, because both of us only think of ourselves. Ew. And I'm stuck in something that I don't even know if God wanted me to have. Now he got to work everything for the good. But that also means I could suffer a lot while he's working it for our good. Yeah. So even when you present something that seems so wonderful, that back in the day would have been my dream, I would have thought was my whole purpose for living. Now the spirit of the Lord has said, and even if it's not, are you okay? I am perfectly yeah. fine. Yeah. The audacity to think that just because I'm fine, thank you, yeah. that it's a waste if I don't get married. Why can't the Lord have something fine? Oh, the Lord only get the ugly people. The only, only women he wants is, is the single ugly ones. If you ain't getting married, because all he wants is the single ugly women. All single ugly women, y'all don't have to get married. The Lord loves you. So all the pretty women, y'all going to get married because that's a waste of a pretty thing. So that's running in every believer's mind as a female. That if, if I don't get picked, then I wasn't pretty enough, nice enough, cook enough. I didn't do something enough. He said, well, are, he said, do you have any diseases? I said, no. He said, do you have any kids? No. Have you been divorced? No. What is wrong with you? Nothing is wrong with me other than I just love God. But well, that should get you 
him, the man of your dreams. <laughs> there is no man of my dreams. There's no perfect man of my dreams. I pastor men and women. These people do not exist. They don't exist. Well, what do you, just ask the Lord for what you want. I don't want none of it. And if I want it now, how am I supposed to know that that's good for me to have? Yeah. Well, I want a man with money. How do I know you didn't cheat to get it? Yeah. Lie to get it. Jesus. Overwork to get it. Now I'm married to a man that I love for his money, but he can't stop working. He can't stop worrying. He can't stop stressing. He's so alpha male that he can't stop beating me upside my head. And then my daddy going to shoot him. And then what we going to do? Now I'm going to be a widow, and he going to be in hell, and I'm going to have to go visit my dad in jail. See? If no facto. The reason we are struggling with sin is because we have not asked the Holy Spirit to make us new. We're just asking him to clean up some of our bad habits. Paul says that you're supposed to die to yourself. If you're willing to go through all those consequences, because you have some consequences with sin, right? And then even with those consequences, you still did it again. That don't make no sense. So you were willing to suffer again for something temporarily you wanted. So Jesus says, well, suffer for me. Suffer for me, says the Lord. Give yourself to me. Go through for me. And I promise you, I'll do you right. That's the promise. I will do you right standing all over the house. Oh, I feel 